1: way to college. Freshman year, I lived in a dorm. During the first semester there, there were all sorts of activities that were supposed to bond us. About two months in, there was a scavenger hunt. Now I had never been part of a scavenger hunt in my whole life, but I loved the idea of a scavenger hunt, mostly from TV shows and movies. So teams needed to be created, and they did this by randomly picking captains, and then the captains would pick teammates. I went into the lounge where the teams were being made and sat down, and I noticed names on the wall. Those were the five captains. Now, I didn't know any of these people. Frankly, I didn't know many people at all in my dorm, except for the person I was living with. So I was really surprised when the first person picked was me. I've never been picked first in anything. I went up there and stood next to my captain and watched as everybody else was picked So the teams get picked, and we all separate, go to different areas, and the team captain says, Okay, we should be in really good shape because we got this guy here. And he points at me. Now, I had no idea what he was talking about. I was confused. I said, Why would I be good? He goes, Well, you're real smart. Now, often in life, people will mistake introversion or shyness for intelligence. And that is the mistake that these people made. And they seem to put all of the responsibility for winning the game on me and that was to me way too much pressure so they come around and they give me an envelope and all it is is an index card with letters and they're all scrambled up in no sensible meaning they said well what do you think i start staring at it and i had nothing i'm looking at this thing and it makes no sense whatsoever to me i did notice there were two numbers but that in itself didn't make any sense to me So then I started thinking back to my movie experience. How did the people who weren't good at winning do well? They followed the other people. So I put the card on the table and started thinking. And really what I was doing was looking out the window as I saw a team running down the street in front of the dorm. And I said, we should go out that way. We proceeded to just follow in the footsteps of anyone who seemed to have a clue as to what was going on. I have never participated in a scavenger hunt since then or before then, but as a strategy, it's not bad because we won. We got t-shirts, we got these mugs, and we got hats, all because we managed to get up to the last, I think it was like 10 clues in, and one of the people on the team was able to solve it. They knew exactly what it was. I got all this credit as if I was some sort of genius when really all I was doing was following the bad guy routine in any movie that involved a scavenger hunt, a movie much like Midnight Madness, which is what we're about to talk about. By the way, the first clue was the campus laundromat, and what we were looking for was the actual numbered washer machine where the next clue was, and we were able to figure that out as we got closer to it and saw the people run into the laundromat, and then it became a little bit more obvious. I have since wanted to participate in other scavenger hunts because I would like to one time be on the good team. Maybe I would need to be the captain and pick people around me that could solve the clues because I certainly couldn't. Since I won't be participating probably in any anytime soon, I satisfy myself by watching movies about scavenger hunts, which I really like. One of the ones I love most of all is the 1980s film Midnight Madness, and it is the subject of today's show. I'm going to talk about the people behind the film, the stars in front of the screen, we'll talk about the plot, we'll talk about some of the locations, a video game that features pretty prominently in the film, and we'll throw in a few surprises here and there. We have an info-packed episode ahead of us, so without further ado, let's start the show. Midnight Madness is a 1980 comedy made by the Walt Disney Company. It starred David Naughton, and it's about a group of college students who have a scavenger hunt in Los Angeles. Mostly people remember it because it was on HBO in the 1980s. It became one of those HBO films that they showed all of the time, and it's also known because it introduced us to Michael J. Fox. The film was written and directed by Michael Nankin and David Wechter. And it went through two working titles, The All-Night Treasure Hunt and The Great All-Nighter. But there was this other movie called Scavenger Hunt, and they did not want to be confused with Scavenger Hunt, so they decided to change the film to Midnight Madness. Later, Nankin would work on The Gate and The Gate 2, and then would do a lot of work on television, including some work on the recent Battlestar Galactica. Wechter continues to work a lot on television. An interesting fact is that he worked on a bunch of episodes of The Short-Lived, TV show Sledgehammer back in the mid-80s, a great show that didn't last long. The film was produced by Ron Miller. Ron Miller, former football player, son-in-law of Walt Disney, and president and CEO of the company. The guy was running the studios during a difficult time and catches a lot of flack, but he also did some great things, created Touchstone, and he put some clout behind the movie Tron, so he's okay in my book. Today's show is brought to you by a local bus company. Are you in a heated scavenger hunt? Car broke down? Hop on the bus.
0: Convenience on wheels, how great it feels to relax and ride the bus.
1: So before I talk about the cast of the film, I'll tell you a little bit about the plot. The film begins with a guy called Leon, who would be played by Alan Solomon, who summons five college students to his home and challenges them to participate in the Great All-Nighter, which is basically a puzzle-slash-scavenger hunt. The team leaders refuse, but the rivalry is heated, so they all decide to participate. It's a pretty pure scavenger hunt. You're given a clue, you get to the location of the clue, But when they're at that location, they often must solve a riddle or do something that will give them the clue. The progress of The Great All-Nighter is tracked on this giant strategy board that Leon has, and while the contest is going on, more and more people start to appear in his home and are all very psyched about how awesome this idea is. The film takes place in Los Angeles, and most of the clues are in areas in L.A., the teams are all assigned color, and the movie focuses mainly on the struggle between the blue and yellow team. The other three teams mostly are there for comic relief, color, that sort of stuff. The final destination is the Weston Bonaventure Hotel, and when the team reaches there, a huge party will follow. Now, I said there were five teams. I will focus on the yellow and blue team and mostly just talk about who are the leaders of the other teams are, because there are some great character actors in this film leading the yellow team, yet David Naughton playing Adam Larson. David Naughton, actor, singer, probably best known for his role in An American Werewolf in London and the sitcom Making It, of whose theme song he also sang, and it was a hit. He also was the spokesperson for Dr. Pepper, sang I'm a pepper, you're a pepper, that guy. Deborah Klinger played Laura. She was a member of the Klinger sisters. She worked in Croft and Rankin-Bass productions in the 70s. David Damas played Marvin. Small roles on Falcon Crest and Good Times, and that's about it. Joel Kennedy played Flinch. His acting seemed to stop in 1986 with Malibu Bikini Shop, which is, of course, a great swan song for any actor. And rounding out the yellow team, the unofficial member, probably the biggest star of the film, is Michael J. Fox. Fun little trivia, Michael J. Fox is listed as Michael Fox in the opening credits, but in the end credits, he's listed as Michael J. Fox. So it makes you wonder what happened during the film that he would get the J. Something good, I think. Michael J. Fox, of course, is a huge star. Back to the Future, Family Ties. I don't think an explanation of who he is is needed. The yellow team are the good guys. And there's a big plot with Scott Michael J. Fox as a younger brother of Adam, David Naughton, and he's trying to prove himself and show he has value to his older brother. The blue team are the bad guys, the big rivals. Mostly I liked them because they had this really cool van equipped with all sorts of computers. And those computers are supposed to help them win this instantly. But because the leader, Harold, played by Stephen First, needs to eat so much, he stuffs some marshmallows into a computer and ruins everything. And then, of course, they need to rely on their bad guy trick to win. Stephen First, best known as Kent Dorfman Flounder in Animal House, but he was also on St. Elsewhere and Babylon 5. Another standout on the blue team is Brian Frischman, who plays Barf. Now, you might remember him from 240 Robert, the TV show, and he also had a small role in 1941. The green team is the Jocks, and they're led by Levitis, played by Brad Wilkin. Midnight Madness seems to be his biggest film, but he also appeared on Happy Days and MASH. The red team was a sorority led by Maggie Roswell, who played Donna. Maggie Roswell's name sounds familiar. It's because she does voice work on The Simpsons, where she plays Maud Flanders, Helen Lovejoy, Luann Van Houten, and others. Now, the green team, red team, and white team are mainly comic relief, filled with stereotypes. So if you're sensitive to people making fun of these types, you might not want to watch the film. The white team is made up of debate team nerds and is led by Wesley, played by the amazing Eddie Deason. They ride mopeds, and they have a kind of Devo vibe to them, maybe, which is why I like them so much. But it's probably because Eddie Deason is amazing in everything he does. Rounding out the cast, Leon is played by Alan Solomon haven't been able to find much about Alan Solomon, but isn't his contribution to the classic Midnight Madness enough? And there is a small role in the film that many, many people remember, in addition to Michael J. Fox. Paul Rubens, you might know him as Pee Wee Herman, had a small role in the film, but you give Paul Rubens a small role and he will turn it into something huge. Now with a little bit more about Eddie Deason, who is Vic Sage with Why Should I Know This Person?
0: Hi friends, Vic Sage here with Why Should I Know This Person, and this time we are taking a look at actor and comedian Eddie Deason. Born Edward Harry Deason on March 6, 1957 in Cumberland, Maryland, Eddie found his calling in grade school by earning the spot of Class Clown. He was so sure of his aspirations of being a stand-up comedian that he moved to Hollywood just days after graduating high school. When arriving in Hollywood, one of the first things Eddie did was he added an extra E to his last name because he figured people would be able to finally pronounce it correctly. Eddie gave up his stand-up comedy career after a horrible bombing during his last act of a performance. Later, he was also realizing that he was having difficulty in remembering his routine while on stage. For what it's worth, though, he did appear at least three times at the Comedy Store on Sunset Boulevard. Before focusing on an acting career, though, Eddie decided to give stand-up one last shot when he appeared on The Gong Show in the mid-1970s. He was gonged out by singer-songwriter Paul Williams. Eddie's first film role was in the 1978 cult classic Laser Blast, but in that same year, he also appeared in the Robert Zemeckis-directed comedy I want to hold your hand, as well as Greece, where he played Eugene Fellnick, a role he would revisit four years later in Greece, too. Eddie appeared in Steven Spielberg's 1941 as Herbie Kazelinski. By taking that role, however, he had to turn down the part of Eagle Bauer in Rock and Roll High School and Spaz in Ivan Reitman's Meatballs. The part of Eaglebauer, by the way, went to legendary character actor Clint Howard. The 1980s were good to Eddie as he landed roles in many popular films and TV shows like Zapped, War Games, The Facts of Life, Magna P.I., Punky Brewster, The Fall Guy, and Critters 2. To be honest, I might be the only vocal fan of Eddie's role in Critters 2 as the manager of The Hungry Heifer. In the early 90s, Eddie focused mostly on voice work for a slew of animated series such as Darkwing Duck, Goof Troop. Eek the Cat, Ah, Real Monsters, Mighty Ducks, Johnny Bravo, Dexter's Laboratory, What's New Scooby-Doo, and Kim Possible. He also played the part of Guy Boarded Up in the Wall on the Weird Al Yankovic Show. This has been Vic Sage with Why Should I Know This Person, signing off till next time.
1: Thanks, Vic. The film was shot all around Los Angeles, California, starts at Occidental College, they go to Burbank, Grumman's Chinese Theater, Griffith Park Observatory, LAX, and the Westin Bonaventure Hotel for the finale. I loved when a film really devotes itself to a city. You get to see things in the background, and when I see a location, I always hope it's real, and I really hope that the arcade in the film was real because I always dreamed about arcades. Now, I'm not saying that it was anything special, although it did look cool, but mostly I wanted to play the Starfire arcade game that they had in it. When I saw the film, I had never played Starfire and assumed that it was a fake game, because it looked a lot like a Star Wars game that wasn't a Star Wars game. And it turns out that it was a real game, because it showed up in the arcade maybe 20 miles away from me, a couple of years later, and I played it and couldn't believe that I was playing the game from Midnight Madness. Now, there's a difference between the one in Midnight Madness and the one I played. The one I played, which is the normal release by Exidy, was a sit-down version of the game, which I had never seen before. The game was very challenging, and I could see why they had such a difficult time with it in Midnight Madness. I pumped quarter-after-quarter into it, trying to get a decent score, and have always done poorly. Now, I had an appreciation for it because it was in Midnight Madness, and I knew that, but I think many people thought of it as a Star Wars game because the spaceships in the game look a lot like TIE fighters. I'm pretty sure that if you were making video games today, you would never be able to pull off anything like this, but due to the magic that was the early 80s, you could get away with a lot of stuff that you couldn't get away with today. It was a magical time. The Retroist Podcast will return after these messages. Millions of years ago,
0: the mightiest creatures on Earth were the dinosaurs. You can pretend those ferocious fighters come to life with the Colossal Fossil Fight. To win, fill your cave with bones worth the most points. You can make the dinosaur battle for the bones with his snapping jaws. You can clash with your opponent's dinosaur and knock his bones away. The Colossal Fossil Fight. The Colossal Fossil Fight comes with Dinosaur Battleground, two action figures, and everything you see here. By Gabriel I drink Dr. Pepper, don't you see? Cause it's the perfect taste for me That original taste, you know Is making peppers everywhere I go Peppers, boating peppers, toating peppers Cooking peppers, good-looking peppers Wouldn't you like to be a pepper, too? Us peppers are an interesting breed And original taste is what we need Ask any pepper, and he'll say, Only Dr. Pepper tastes that way. There's carrying peppers, marrying peppers, dying peppers, quiet peppers. Wouldn't you like to be a pepper too? There's saluting peppers, tooting peppers. I'm a pepper man. Wouldn't you like to be a pepper too? Be a pepper, drink Dr. Pepper. I-
1: And now back to the Retroist Podcast. The movie was released on February 8th, 1980. It was up against movies like Kramer vs. Kramer, The Last Married Couple, Hero at Large, and Just Tell Me What You Want. Those films did pretty well. Midnight Madness, though, did not do very well. In the end, it would only make $2.9 million at the box office. Probably because it only had a limited release and during that limited release, it was panned by a lot of critics. Now, an interesting fact is that this was the second film from Disney to receive a non-G rating. The first one would be The Black Hole, although the company's name didn't appear in the credits of the film when it came out. Why the film has a sort of cult following is that it was released on HBO and played a lot on that station, and that's where most everyone I know was exposed to it. You ready for some late 70s, early 80s magic? That song was sung by Donna Fine. It is called Midnight Madness, and it was written by David Wechter and Julius Wechter. David Wechter is one of the co-writers and director. Julius is the father of David Wechter, and he produced a lot of the music for the movie. Sadly, it was never released as a soundtrack. Not sure why. Maybe Disney didn't think it would do well. Julius Wechter didn't get the role probably because of nepotism, but because he himself was a famous musician, percussionist, composer, famous for composing the song Spanish Flea for Herb Albert, a song I listened to a lot because for some reason every household in the 1780s had some copy of Herb Albert and the Tijuana Brass in their possession. So the film wasn't given a soundtrack release, but a novelization of the film was made and released in paperback. Now I ordered a copy on Amazon and it's cheap. It's like a buck 84. And the problem is I'm pretty sure that the person who has a copy is sending it to me from Antarctica because it's been two and a half weeks, and it still hasn't come. I was hoping to look at it, because it says the book was written by Tom Wright, but then somebody else said it was written by T.M. Wright, who is Terence Michael Wright, who has written a whole bunch of horror and speculative fiction, and has won all these awards, but I can't find a connection between the two. I'm not sure I would be able to even if I owned the book, but I love the idea that this guy who went on to write horror and fantasy novels also wrote the novelization for a movie from 1980 that not enough people have seen. The film came out in 1980, and it was shown on HBO, and then a couple of years later it was released on VHS. It was finally released on DVD, and you can get your copy right now if you want to online or at your local store. As I said earlier, in the original theatrical release, they did not add any information about Disney. But Disney came to its senses and finally added the Walt Disney Presents logo to the DVD release. So now you know it is a Disney film. Maybe we'll get a reboot like they did with Tron. The Retroist Podcast will return after these messages.
0: America's premium beer since 1844. Past. A lot to look forward to. Blip, 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 blip. blip is the digital game that you can take with you anywhere. With the batteries you supply, the light emitting diode zips across the screen. You try to press the right button to send it back. An automatic readout keeps score. Two people or only one can play. When you play with Blip, you get carried away. And so does Blip. <laughs>
1: The digital game from Tomy. And now back to the Retroist Podcast. Midnight Madness has inspired a great number of alternate reality games or ARGs. In a whole bunch of places you can look online for Midnight Madness games in your area. There's... At least a half dozen that I was able to find with a simple search. If you love scavenger hunts and have a good group of friends you want to play with, why not look these groups up? Get involved. I think it would be a pretty fun night. If I'm in your area, please drop me an email and I would love to participate. But don't assume that I will know any answers because I am deadweight, I'm telling you. Just complete deadweight. Maybe I could be comic relief. Maybe. The guy who eats the marshmallows. Something like that. Is Midnight Madness a great film? Maybe. I don't know. It's not award-winning, but it is a great example of what I will call an HBO movie, which is a movie that, in the 1980s, you'd never heard of until HBO started playing it, and then they play it all the time, and it became something you and your friends talked about, or you left on in the background while you were playing Monopoly. It lacked the heart of some HBO movies, like, say, Meatballs, while that might diminish The integrity of the film in some way, it doesn't take away from the fact that it's a lot of fun to watch, silly, something for people of all ages to laugh at. It's also a great time capsule because you don't commonly see movies with massive stereotypes about jocks and nerds, and you certainly don't see them running to arcades with Michael J. Fox. It takes place right at the cusp of the 70s and the 80s, so you get a disco vibe, but still a hint of the magic and goofiness of what the 80s would offer. It's almost perfect that Michael J. Fox would be birthed in this film because he is a perfect representation of what I think of when I think of an 80s actor. That is why I hope you will check out Midnight Madness, pick it up on DVD, stream it to your computer somehow. There is a copy of it up on YouTube right now, so get up there now before it goes away. I think you'll enjoy it. Just don't take it too seriously. Thanks for listening to the show. For more retro fun, you can drop by the website at www.retroist.com. You can follow me on Facebook and Twitter. I'm at facebook.com slash retroist and twitter.com slash retroist. The music you hear in the show is by Peachy. If you have musical needs, you can email Peachy at peachy at retroist.com. Thanks to Vic Sage for another great Why Should I Know This Person? If you have feedback for Vic, you can email him at vicsage at retroist.com. Thanks for listening to the show, and I hope you have a great weekend.
0: friends big sage here with why should i know this person and this time we were taking a look at actor and comedian eddie deason born edward harry deason on march 6th hey we're birthday buddies this has been a retroist production goodbye